life on their own. What helped them face the unknown? It was their trust in God. What made the patriots give their lives to suffer a great sacrifice? Why did they pay such a price? It was their trust in God. If we could go back in time today, this is what we hear them say. In God we trust. In God we trust, we will live by these words. In God we trust, and we call on America to join us, so the world will know, in God we trust. They faced what made this nation strong, and faith must still lead us on. Our nation will stand as one, as we trust in God. Let's join our hearts and our hands today. And together we will stand and say, In God we trust, in God we trust, We will live by these words. In God we trust, we will call on America to join us, So the world will know, in God we trust. In God we trust, in God we trust, we will live by these words. In God we trust, we will call on America to join us. So the world will know, so the world will know, so the world will know, in God we trust. everybody. Um, I'm Jada for ones that don't know me. Um, for all the ones that do, I just want to thank you. I might cry. <laughs> um, I just want to thank you for all your support that you've given me. 
when I went um, to the potter's house. I guess I can give a little bit of my testimony. Um, it started off when I was a little girl. Um, my mother wasn't around when I was a little girl, and um, it's just I didn't understand because everybody that would come over, like my dad's friends that would come over, because I lived with my dad, they would, it would be, you know, them, their wife, and their children, and I would always play with them. But um, I just knew that something was missing, and I just thought it was my mom at the time. And then I lost my father. Um, he had to go serve some time at the federal penitentiary. So um, I just I felt like I was unwanted because he was all that I knew. After that, um, just growing up, because I just kind of moved around, you know, and I was a little bit unstable. Um, I lived with my grandma and my Aunt Carol. They took care of me for part of my life, and they did the best they could. And just I was just really unstable throughout my life. And I finally moved in with my mom throughout high school, and she ended up, thank you, <laughs> she ended up being a more than a friend than a mother. She had different guys and in that other house all the time, and, I ended up start. I started ended up using um, marijuana with her at a really young age, probably about 14, um, and taking pills like Xanax and pills like that, and it just wasn't a good environment. Um, I graduated high school and moved from Tennessee from my mom's house back to um, back to here because my dad was out of prison at that time, and um, I ended up getting a boyfriend as soon as I got here. I graduated high school. I just didn't go to college. I ended up getting a boyfriend. He was a little bit older than me, and he was um, he was using drugs. He was using cocaine and heroin at the time, but I didn't know it. And it all boiled down to me using drugs again and again and again. And I ended up having two children, and um, just my whole life from that from that point I just realized you know there's just something missing I just had this deep black hole inside me and I was just trying to fill it with men and drugs and men and drugs and men and drugs and just um, I craved my father's attention because he wasn't there when I was a child because he was in prison and um, just from him raising me until he went to prison it was a, a it was that that's what I known so I just I thought it would be the same when he came home and it wasn't Thankfully, he's saved now. But um, just my whole life, I've just had this big, dark, gaping hole in me, and I just, I knew that there's got to be more than life than what I was living. And I ended up getting saved at my sister's house in the living room. It was a Wednesday night after we was here. I was riding home with my brother-in-law, and I was like, I don't know. I think I need to get saved. And he's like, if you feel like you need to get saved, you need to get saved right now. So he called Pastor Randy, and Randy came over to my sister's house, and I got saved there in her living room. Um. Not too short period of time after that, probably about two weeks, I guess the devil got a hold of me, or I can't even give the devil all the credit. It was really just me making bad choices. I was right back out there, and I ended up, my drug of choice was meth, and um, I started shooting up meth, and uh, it just got completely out of control for the next years, and um, um. I wanted to quit doing drugs, but I just I couldn't. I knew how to get sober, but I didn't know how to stay sober. And um, it was just really hard for me. And my sister, she started talking about this potter's house. And then um, she said that Pastor Randy said that he could make a phone call, maybe get me in there, get me an interview. So he did. And I, I went down there, and 
Whew. I went down there as just a filthy, filthy, dirty girl where God met me there. And he just, he did. He just grabbed me up and I just learned about him. I learned all about him. And it's just amazing um, to see him work. Seeing him work just made it a lot real to me, more real to me than what I felt. Because um, just seeing him work on the girls that was around me from just the transformations was amazing. And um, what God's done in my life since I've came home, I'd spent seven months down there, away from my family, away from um, my children, away from everything I knew. I just got put in this house with 20-something girls, and we just read our Bibles. And we, we got to know Jesus, and Miss Sharice, she taught groups every um, five days a week. So, But since I've been home, God has brought both my little boys are here at church with me. And... Um, of course, my relationship with him is probably the number one. It is the number one thing in my life. So um, that's about it. Yeah, I love watching God work. Yeah. Tell you a little bit about Miss Cherie. She was teaching Sunday school in church and in a particular church and wanted to do more. And one of the men in the church started a rumor about her, which caused her to be removed, untrue, but caused her to be removed from her Sunday school class and removed from any positions of responsibility. Made it very, very difficult for her to continue to go to church there. And you say, boy, Brother Casey, people in churches do that? Yeah, that's why the ideal church doesn't have any people in it. <coughs> but then it's not a church. At any rate, someone suggested that she start going down to the jail once a week and share the gospel with women in jail. She began to do that, and over the course of several months, she noticed that the girls who got out of jail came back to jail in just a little while. It seemed like a revolving door. They'd get out of jail, come back in jail, get out of jail, come back in jail. She began to talk with them about the rehab programs and found out that there wasn't anything that was meeting their needs. And so she and her husband purchased a house, remodeled it, and Miss Cherie began moving these girls into her house one at a time, two at a time, and she set up a seven-month program and it is being duplicated across the United States. It's called the Potter's House for Women. I met her in Israel. Okay? And uh, got to know her story and got to know about Potter's House. And so I found out that Jada needed a place to go. I called Miss Cherie, and uh, she took care of it. Anyhow, uh, I want to make sure God gets all the glory. Because he had all this plan before Jada was ever born. Already working on the circumstances. And uh, we want to continue to pray for Jada. It's uh, not always going to be easy back here. But she does have two cute little boys. Ooh. The oldest one came to me one day before church down my office. And he said... Uh, Gave me that look. He said, 
Are you the master? Are you the pastor? I said, I'm the pastor. Do you know who the master is? He said. I think he thought maybe it was his grandpa. (laughs) I said, the master is Jesus. He's the master. I'm the pastor. So now when he sees me, he says, there's the pastor. So I'm in Walmart a couple weeks ago. Hi, pastor. (laughs) Pretty cool. Take your Bible, if you will, turn with me to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, chapter 2. This morning I want to speak on the subject of promises of God. The promises of God. We're not going to deal with all the promises of God. We're going to deal with two or three of them. But I want to point out the significance of God making promises. Because the promises of God in the scripture are said to be yea and amen. Yea meaning God's going to do it. He always keeps his word. And amen meaning let it be so. The promises of God are yea and amen. When God makes a promise, God always keeps his promise. He doesn't always keep it on our timetable. He doesn't keep his promises the way we necessarily think that he's going to. But he always keeps his promises. The very first promise we find in the Word of God is found in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord God took man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we ask that you would make your word very clear and very plain to us today. Help us to understand the significance of your word, the importance of your word, the authority of your word, the necessity of your word. And may we apply it to our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Satan, in chapter 3, came to Adam's wife Eve and said, Yea, hath God said that in the day you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, no, yea, hath God said you may eat of every tree of the garden. And Eve said, yes, every tree but one. And God said, don't eat of it and don't touch it. God didn't say don't touch it. God just said, don't eat of it. And Satan said, what's the big deal? Eve said, well, God said the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. And Satan then not only had cast doubt on the Word of God, now he denies the Word of God. And he said, God knows that the day you eat the fruit thereof, you'll not surely die, but you'll be like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil. And Eve saw the fruit, and she took it, and she ate of it, and she gave it to her husband, and he ate of it. Now, Paul wrote to Timothy in the book of 1 Timothy and said, the the woman was deceived, but Adam was disobedient. Adam knew what was going to happen. He ate of it anyhow. You say, Brother Casey, did they die? Yes. Twice. The day they ate the fruit, 
Their spirit died. Man is a three-part being. A body, that's the part you see, part that has to exercise, see? The part that we feed and feed and feed and feed and feed, see? And then there's the soul, body and soul. The soul is your personality. It's the part of you that's able to think, the part of you that's able to consider things, the part of you that's able to make decisions. And then there's the spirit. The spirit is eternal. And it's God's spirit, which he gave to Adam and to Eve so that they could live with him forever. And the day they ate the fruit, their spirit died. So they weren't going to live forever anymore. And then about 900 years later, their bodies died. And so they died twice. They died spiritually and then they died physically. You say, but Casey, wow, does that happen to everybody? No, because Adam and Eve sinned, all of their children were born without a spirit. Okay? So now everybody's body dies sooner or later. But in Ephesians chapter 2, God says that he will give you a new spirit. He'll make your spirit come alive. Look at it with me, if you will. Ephesians chapter 2. New Testament, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Whoops, went too far. He says in verse 1, find it? Ephesians 2 1. And you hath he quickened. Now, what's it mean to quicken somebody? means to make them alive. Okay? If somebody's quick, they're alive. You have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in time past, our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. There's the body and the, and the soul. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come... Whenever they might be, in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. And so we have in Genesis chapter 2, the spiritual death of man and the promise that if Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they were going to die, and they died spiritually. But there's also the promise that God will give people a new spirit when they trust Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And that's like way cool. You can go to heaven. 
Second promise I want us to look at this morning is found in Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. We'll begin in verse 12, Genesis 9, 12. And God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. Now, what does perpetual mean? It means forever, never ending. Okay? Every generation gets this same promise. So my grandfather got it, and my father got it, and I got it, and now my son got it. His kids got it. A promise to perpetual generation. And what is the promise? I do set my bow in the cloud. Now, if you see a bow in the cloud, what do you call it? A rainbow. Yeah. It shall be a token of a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come to pass, when I bring a cloud over the earth, the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, my promise, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. The bow shall be in the cloud. I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And so, what's the rainbow? It's the promise. It's the the token, the symbol of the promise. And what's the promise? God's never again going to flood the whole world with water. Never again going to cover all the mountains 22 and a half feet deep with water. Never again is he going to destroy all the people on the earth with water. Okay? That's the promise. Do you know that since God made that promise... About 2,000 years before Jesus was born, 4,000 years ago, since God made that promise, there has never been a moment on the face of the earth where there was not a rainbow somewhere. You say, how can that be, Brother Casey? Because there's clouds all over the earth all the time. And there's the spray from, from waterfalls. And sometimes now when people water their grass, there's spray from the sprinklers, and you can see the rainbow in the sprinklers. About three weeks ago, there were two rainbows over Festus and Herculaneum. It was really cool. Promise from God that He wouldn't ever again destroy the earth with water. Okay? Does that mean we don't ever have floods? No, of course not. They're having a flood right now in Minneapolis-St. Paul. But it means they're not going to, he's not going to destroy the whole earth with a flood. The promise of God. So the first promise was that people who sinned against God were going to die. Going to be dead spiritually. And eventually would die physically. The second promise is that God's not ever again going to destroy the whole earth with water. This morning at Sunday school, somebody brought up the fact that there are people marching in the streets today because they don't believe the Bible. 
And they call themselves the Rainbow Coalition. They call themselves people who are gay. And they're really not gay at all. Most of them are really unhappy. So why did they use the rainbow? Well, because it's an attack on God's promise. Defiance against God. God, you said you'd never destroy us with water again, so we're going to live the way we want to. That's kind of scary. Because God didn't say we could live the way we want to. Let me show you two more promises. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Verse 24. This is Jesus speaking. And he uses the word verily. comes from the Greek word amen. You say, what's amen? We say amen. Amen. What's the word amen mean? It means I agree. It means this is the truth. This may, the word amen means this is the way it's going to be. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. So the promise, the first promise was that everybody's going to die. The second promise is that everybody's not going to die with water again, drowning. The third promise, yeah, yeah, that's what I say. The third promise is that people who get saved don't have to worry about dying. You say, but people who get saved still die, right? Oh, yeah. They take their last breath here and their next breath in heaven. Sometimes they close their eyes here. And they open their eyes and they're looking at Jesus. That's cool. I wouldn't mind that. That's not like dying. That's like walking in the grocery store. You say, what's like walking in the grocery store? Well, you walk across the parking lot and it's really, really hot. Before you ever get there, you're sweating and, you're, and it's hot. and you, Oh, man. But you know you're alive because the sweat's pouring off of you. And then you walk in... Up to the door, and the door opens, and you walk inside, and that cool air, air conditioning hits you in the face. Ah, this would be nice all the time, right? We're going through this life, and sometimes it's really tough, and sometimes it's really hard, and sometimes things happen that we don't understand. But if we have believed, heard the word of Jesus, and believed on him that sent Jesus. Then we have everlasting life, and we pass from death into life. When you get to heaven, you live forever. You say, in heaven? No. We're only going to live in heaven about seven years. And then we're coming back to the earth with Jesus, and he's going to make it new like it was in the Garden of Eden. And we're going to live with him here for a thousand years, and then forever after that. Because he made the promise to perpetual generations. So what's the word of Jesus we need to hear? Well, let me give it to you from the book of Romans. Okay? Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 says, 
as it is written, what the Bible says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth, there's none that seeketh after God. There is none good, no, not one. So when somebody says to you, you say, hi, how are you? And they say, I'm good. You just don't have to say it out loud, but you can think, no, you're not. No, you're not. The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. But you know what? When I asked Jesus to be my Savior, He made me good. So I'm not good, but Jesus made me good. So when God sees me, He said, Oh, that boy's good. I like him. No, He doesn't. He says, He's good. I love him. Woo, pretty cool. And then Romans chapter 3, verse 23, tells us why there's none good. It says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Oh my goodness. What does it mean to sin? Well, sin is anything you do that violates the Word of God. Anything God said don't do and you do it makes you a sinner. But even if you didn't do anything against the Word of God, you'd still be a sinner because your dad was a sinner. And his dad was a sinner, and his dad was a sinner, and his dad was a sinner, all the way back to Adam. When Adam sinned, he, made, he caused his sons to be born sinners, and their sons to be born sinners, all the way down the line, so that I'm a sinner because my dad was a sinner, and my son is a sinner because I was a sinner. Okay, It's just the way we are. We're born sinners. Mrs. Craig has a new grandson. He's about... Six and a half months old. He was born this past week. You think I'm kidding? Nine pounds, ten ounces, 22 inches long. Okay? Looks just like his dad at the age of seven. No, just kidding. But that baby is a sinner. But you know what? Because babies are born sinners, there wouldn't be any hope for us if God didn't do something. We not only would be dead spiritually, we would die physically, and then we'd go to hell. See, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, separation from God forever. But the gift of God, ooh, everybody likes gifts, right? Yeah. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So how did Jesus get the gift of life, the gift of God, to give to us eternal life? He came to this earth. He lived without ever sinning. His father was not a human. His father was God. So he wasn't born with sin. He wasn't born a sinner. He lived his whole life and never sinned. And then one day he went to the cross of Calvary, and there he took all of my sin and all of your sin, and he died on the cross for it died in my place and died in your place. So he's able to give us this gift of eternal life. So, how do we get it? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and we know that's what happened at Easter, God raised Jesus from the dead, 
thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So with your mouth, if you say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead, that he died for my sins, then you ask him to save you, and he's going to do it. In fact, you dump down three verses to verse 13, and verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What's his name? Jesus. And so you just call on Jesus and ask him to save you, and he'll do it. You say, okay, Brother Casey, that's three promises. What's the last one? The last one is found in Revelation chapter 20. It's not the last promise in the Bible. It's just the last one that I'm going to share this morning. We actually could look at verses 11 through 15. Revelation chapter 20, we'll start in verse 11. I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the heaven, the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. I saw the dead. Okay, who's dead? People without a spirit. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. God's writing everything down that you do. Wow. How can he do that? Well, for one thing, he's God. He can do anything. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead that were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Here's the promise. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And you know how long they stay there? Forever and ever and ever and ever. Nobody ever gets out. You say, well, Brother Casey, then how do you get your name written in the book of life? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. Good question. Because the answer is simple. You get saved. You ask Jesus to forgive your sins and to save you, and he writes your name in the book of life. Now, if you want, sometime we can have this great long theological discussion about when he wrote your name in the book of Lamb's book of life and who gets blotted out and all that kind of stuff. But what you want to know is that when you get saved, your name is in the Lamb's book of life. And when comes time for judgment, he looks at your name and says, whoops, you're not going to hell. You come with me. We're going to heaven. Okay? And he looks, and if you're not saved, and he sees your name in the, and he doesn't see your name in the Lamb's Book of Life because it's not going to be there, he says, "Okay, I gave my son to pay for his sin, and he didn't want to get saved, or I gave my son to pay for her sin, she didn't want to get saved. Get rid of him." And the angels pick that person up and take them over, and they throw them into the lake of fire, and they stay there. Forever and ever and ever. They never burn up. 
but they always burned. Because God did everything he could to help people go to heaven. And if people say, no, I don't need God, they really mess up. Right? Four promises. Number one, don't eat the fruit. Adam ate the fruit. Oh, my goodness. I'm not ever going to destroy the world again with water, and he never has. And everybody gets to see the rainbow and know that God's still in control. If you ask Jesus to save you, he'll do it. That's number three. And number four, if you don't get saved, lake of fire. Where are you going? Okay. I'll go ahead and tell you, in a lake of fire, you don't have to lay on the beach to get a suntan. And it sounds funny, but it's not. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us. Father, thank you for your promises. I've just touched on four of them this morning. There are hundreds, 365 to be exact. And dear Lord, I ask you this morning to speak to hearts. Help people to ask themselves, do I know I'm going to heaven? Do I know my name's in the Lamb's Book of Life? Or should I be worried? Dear Lord, if there's somebody here who has to worry, I pray that this morning you would give them the courage to step out and come. Let us take the Word of God and show them personally how they can know that they're saved and know that they're going to heaven. Dear Lord, you may have spoken to hearts about other things. Some they just need to come and kneel here and, and pray. Dear Lord, whatever it is, you have your will and your way in our hearts and lives during this invitation. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.